Good morning, ladies. How are y'all this day? Hope y'all are doing well. It's good, to, wonderful to be together in this year of our Lord 2024 and to prepare to uh, meet with your uh, circles coming up uh, very soon. Should be a, a wonderful and nice occasion. So there are several ladies who are, who are not joining us because they're not feeling well today, is what Rhoda has said. So uh, anyway, um, it's good to be together. We're continuing our our study of we're continuing our, our study of the next to the last word. Uh, looking there at uh, chapters from our study book, we're assigned chapters ten and eleven, which have little correspondence with. Uh, the text directly, uh, you know, and you got to understand to tackle the book of Zechariah like we're doing, even at the level we're doing, is kind of a daunting thing. And so the author has decided, he's decided to focus on the mediatorial offices of the Lord Jesus as prophet, priest, and king, which is a great theme that is woven through the book of Zechariah but my experience is most of our ladies want the word, want the scripture in a methodical, continual way. You can uh, look that up. Don't. So anyway. That will be a lot. It's okay. Not a problem. Um, so uh, anyway, what I decided to do, I think the best thing, at least for this month, is just focus on the scripture, to focus on the Zechariah passage that we're, okay. uh, that is allotted. And there is some value in the book, but uh, uh, I'm not drawing from it this month okay. directly. And the jury is out for next month. He's got a little summary chapter, and I think we can kind of piece some things into that chapter in a more concise way to look at just the themes and kind of a thumbnail sketch. Right. So that, that's what we're doing. We're focusing on the word and going through it uh, sequentially. Uh, so that brings us, you know, we had looked at the night visions, uh, chapters one through six last month. And that leaves us this month with chapters seven and eight. It's definitely shorter than six chapters of visions. So, but we have a year verse. Let's start there. It is a new year. This is still our year verse for this year. And uh, you can read it. You can uh, look at it. But it's from the book of Malachi, chapter 4, verse 2. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Malachi 4, 2. And really this touches every chapter, even in the book of Zechariah, uh, especially, I would say, this month with chapter 8 and some of the promises that are there. When I was a teenager, a friend of mine gave me a poem called The Hound of Heaven. And it's quite a remarkable poem, uh, how God seeks that which is lost is the main theme there. And it's a wonderful and glorious thing that the Lord seeks his own people. But the greater glory is that he not only seeks his people to save them, he comes to them, he seeks them to renew them, to refresh them, to draw them back to himself. And so that is what we find here with the people of God is they are rebuilding the temple, God is rebuilding their own lives. Uh, 
that it might be based on His Word and covenant and that they might live in true integrity of relation with Him, being renewed and strengthened. And so I'd like to look at these two chapters uh, this way. This is like the hound of heaven coming to renew His people. And God uses various means to work in our lives. You know, he, he, he loves us so much that He doesn't leave us in our sin. He doesn't leave our, our habits, our waywardness, without not only His detection, but His intervention. And here, I see chapter 7 as that of warning. And chapter 8 is that of encouragement. Both are helpful. Both have their place and are important. Perhaps God, has a, God does have a purpose in reminding them of their sin and of their history to not repeat the sin of their forefathers or their own sin in warning. It's that of a parent. If you think of being a parent or a grandparent, uh, if, if you're in that relation with children or grandchildren, the importance of warning. I remember when my son began to stick things in the electrical outlet. And it, 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 was, not a, it was not a philosophical conversation. <laughs> it was a direct warning and an intervention. Okay, There's a place for warning. But there's also a place for coming alongside and encouragement. And the encouragement is based on God's faithfulness, that he keeps his word. What a great theme as we start this new year. You know, my, one of my favorite hymns, you know, hymns, some hymns are tethered to certain seasons of the year. We just sang a number of Christmas carols. Easter time, we'll, we'll sing certain hymns. But Great is Thy Faithfulness, to me, is a marvelous hymn, but it's a great at the end of the year, in the beginning of the year, that the Lord is steadfast in his covenant purposes, that he is the one who is ever faithful. And we find his faithfulness here in these words of warning. Now, Michael Barrett entitles this section, Questions to Answer. Actually, let me, let's read uh, the first chapter, chapter 7, together. And that might be put it in a little better context for us. Um, it may be helpful just to know that these chapters, that these chapters occur two years uh, following the night visions that we studied last month. And the temple work, the people are making progress. They're about halfway. The temple is about at its halfway point of completion. And so the people are beginning to wonder, you know, what will happen in this temple? How will this temple affect our lives? How will it affect our worship? What will this mean for us? Well, let's pick up there looking at chapter 7. In the fourth year of King Darius, Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, which is Shevlev. Now the people of Bethel had sent Sheriazer and Remem Meloth and their men to entreat the favor of the Lord, saying to the priests of the house of the Lord of the hosts and the prophets, Should I weep and abstain in the fifth month? as I have done for so many years? Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me. Say to all the people of the land and the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh, for these 70 years, was it for me that you fasted? And when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? Were not these words that the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous with her cities around her 
in the south, in the lowland, were inhabited. And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. And let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. But they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears that they might not hear. They made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, great anger came from the Lord of hosts. As I called, and they would not hear. So they called, and I would not hear, says the Lord of hosts. And I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations that they had not known. Thus the land they left was desolate, so that no one went to and fro, and the pleasant land was made desolate. Michael Barrett entitles this section, Questions to Answer. Here we have representatives sent from Bethel, Bethel, uh, 12 miles south to Jerusalem with a question. And the question was, shall they continue to observe fasting? The fasting of the fifth month, seventh month, hold on, let me get my month straight here. I think it's the fifth and the seventh, do I have that right? Okay, the fifth and the seventh. Uh, The fifth was fasting with respect to the destruction of Jerusalem. And the seventh, the burning, the seventh had to do with the raising of the walls in Jerusalem and the further destruction. And for 70 years, they had kept these fasts. And the question is, should they continue? Actually, in one sense, it's not necessarily a bad question. They're back in the land of promise. The temple is halfway constructed. Uh, They're anticipating what changes perhaps may occur. And so they ask the question, but the Lord gets to the heart of the matter, which is the condition of their own hearts. It doesn't answer the question, not in chapter 7. It'll be picked up in chapter 8. Like a wise parent, he doesn't always answer the question that is directly asked because his concern is get is to get to the real issue, the deeper issue, what underlies their attitude, their motivation. True faith, true religion is more than wearing it on our sleeves or going through various external rituals. God is after the heart of his people. The covenant is a covenant of the heart, a heart relation between God and his people where he proclaims, I am your God and you will be my people. And there are various stipulations, both on the part of God and his people. Perhaps it's not pleasant when God puts his finger on the lives of his people exposing their sin their waywardness, their misplaced values, their playing religion, the sham of it all, thinking that in a guise of righteousness by external observing, fasting and rituals and worship, that God would not see Man looks on the outside, we learn in Samuel, but God looks on the heart. 
what a great reminder as we start a new year. Um, um, so God, and so he asked a very penetrating question in verse 6, and it's asked again later in the passage. Was it really for me that you fasted? Perhaps the height of hypocrisy and arrogance is doing religious activities not for God and his glory, but for our own ends, our own self-righteousness, our own appearance to the world, our own seeking to somehow satisfy ourselves or pat ourselves on the back that we are someone who is holy or righteous. Yes. Right. We can focus on the gifts rather than the giver and wanting God's present blessing and uh, on our lives instead of God himself who, who is our portion you know right and if you think about true fasting and most of us and very much including myself don't have a full appreciation of true biblical fasting at the heart of it should be humility the heart of it should be an acknowledgement of our sin, our need of God. It isn't something that we are to do play acting, you know. Um, certainly, Jesus spoke to the religious leaders of his day for the, the scam of their lives, pretending to be religious and leading the people. Uh, think, I'm thinking of Matthew 25, uh, the many, many woes on these religious leaders for their hypocrisy. He describes them there as pristine, white-washed sepulchers. Beautiful, pure, white on the outside, but inside, death and decay. Spiritually, that is what he gives as an assessment to the people in his day. Perhaps they sorrowed. They sorrowed over the consequences uh, of what their sin brought to them. They may have thrown those self-pity parties that can be so easily uh, thrown. Uh, but But instead of recognizing God's righteousness... And the true assessment about themselves, they miss the whole point of what fasting truly is all about and what God's design and intention in it is. You know, they missed the point. And so God asked the question, even whether they refused to eat and drink, or whether they did eat and drink, Mm -hmm. were they doing it for him? I've wondered if the Apostle Paul, in that great passage, you know, where he says, and I'm sorry, this isn't in the notes, it's just kind of occurring to me as I read it there, whether we eat or drink, is it 1 Corinthians 15, 58? No, not 15, 58. Someone find it for us here. Uh, But whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, you know, do all things, maybe, for the glory of God. If that is, what's, what's our motivation in life? Why do you get up in the morning? And this is a great passage for the new year, for you, for the ladies, for all of us, for the ladies in your circle. 1 Corinthians 10.31. Thank you. 10.31. 1 Corinthians 10.31. Uh, and so God wants to stir them up, not on the question of whether they should observe external fastings or not but what is their motivation where does their heart lie and he's always after our hearts to be inclined with his and that our lives show that you know true repentance true brokenness true fasting 
leads to a change of life. Not only in our relation with God, but in our relationships with others. And he spells it out here as he presents the fact that their lives are in congruity, in non in, non-congruous, in discord. Give me the word. Help me, ladies. Yes. With their fasting. Uh, and he raises very specific matters of how they treated and how they viewed other people. Behind it was their own self-righteousness and selfishness. They cared less or did not care for those who, had, who were weak, those who had a need, those who they were called to in the loving law of the Lord. You know, they, he calls them to maintain a true sense of biblical justice and integrity of, of, of life. Um, render true judgments in verse 9, for example. And he goes into some specifics here of how, they are t- how we and how they are to live in light of those who truly fast, who truly have the right motivation in life. Um, just as God has a heart, a special care for the widows, the fatherless, those in their home deprived of, of the breadwinner and the one to look after and protect and care for. Uh, the poor, there were specific instructions, even in the way in which farmers were to take care of their, uh, tend their crops to allow for the needs and provision of those who were in economic distress. And he's causing, he's asking them to examine their lives. You say you fast and you don't need to fast anymore, you say. Well, what is your life like? What is your relation with me? Is your faith evident in the way in which you relate with other people? Calling a Sabbath a delight means living that kind of life as described in the Word there. And so they're also instructed to not even think evil of the fellow believers in the covenant family. The relationships among those in the covenant are so special that they true harmony and peace is to be not only maintained but promoted and fostered in the family of faith. Well, let's press on because in this first message there is more. And that is that he underscores how the people have responded to the prophets of old. And I think even maybe it's to previous prophets, perhaps to his message and his contemporaries, but also those that went before. How do you respond to God's word? What do you do when you hear the voice of God? They chose to deliberately intentionally ignore it. Now perhaps you may remember a time in your life when maybe your parents said something and maybe, possibly, 
you, you ignored it. You may have done it intentionally. You may have even said kind of consented to it, but then you went your own way and did your own thing. Here, they're described, instead of humbly receiving God's word and law, they've put the stubborn shoulder to it. They've given it the shoulder uh, just as an animal that would not want to be yoked would to the yoke. That is what they've done. They didn't even want to hear it. And so they're described here as having ears that are stopped up. They stopped their ears that they might not hear. Yes, (laughs) putting the fingers. (laughs) And so, um, you know, what's one of the most important things about us is what do we do with the voice of God in the scriptures? What do we do with God's word as he speaks to us? Do we receive it? Do we give, try to give God the stiff arm in the beginning of 2024? Are we like these ones who listened but then went off and did their own thing? There's always a consequence when you stuff, when you close your ears, stuff your ears, and, and stubborn your shoulder against God. And here, uh, the, the curses of the covenant, we've discussed this previously, so I'm not going to elaborate a whole lot on it today, but Deuteronomy 25 enumerates the blessings and the curses of the covenant, that if the people of God walked with God, indeed they would be blessed, But if they refused God, if they resisted God, there would be consequences. But they knew that because this reminder is so timely because they've just come back. And and he's basically saying, all those years that I told you I was going to do this, and I was patient with you, and then I did it. So you can either believe me when I say that there will be consequences, because you know there are now that I've done it. You know that. And they they actually have lived those consequences and so this is really a timely reminder for them here in Jerusalem you know you're going to do this again exactly you do that you get a whooping yep you know we are very slow to learn to learn from our sin to learn from our errors as the people of God in this day they lived those consequences and yet (laughs) they continued in the very things that led Uh, to what they had experienced. The land, a gift from God for them, is now described as something that would be a curse to them. And they themselves, as they had experienced, were in the whirlwind being cast to the nations, cast to Babylon, uh, because of the consequences of their sin. A great New Testament text that goes along with this would be James 1, 22 through 27, about hearing and doing the word and true religion is... Absolutely. But also, um, I was just thinking when we were reading through the earlier part that Micah 6 um, is the same, same, 6 through 8, about, what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him? With burnt offerings and with calves a year old, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. So it's the same same thing. Exactly. Yes. Chapter 1, 22 through 27. Okay, so this, dis- this disobedience <clears throat> described in 7 is not after this question about fasting. This is, 
This is describing previous disobedience even before they were scattered in Babylon? Yes. Okay, so. But it's also implicitly characteristic of their heart attitude. Right. He's implying you're just like your forefathers and look what happened because of their disobedience. So, you know, examine your heart, be warned in love. Yes, okay. Yes. So, um, is it, I know, so the title of mine is The Heart of the Matter, but is it rituals that are bad or is it empty rituals? It's empty rituals or rituals without God in the middle. Religion without God in the middle Mm -hmm. is hypocrisy or a sham. Okay, I said I should add empty in there in my, because just rituals are not necessarily... No, they're not wrong in and of themselves. Actually, we're going to see what he says about fasting in chapter 8. We'll answer the question. I'm just doing a comparison here in two yeah. divisions of rituals and righteousness and so how one ruins and one restores and Yes. Okay, all right. But it's and, empty. And, I should add that word empty in there. Sure. Okay. And um, it may have been before a few of y'all came in. I'm looking at chapter 7 as warning and chapter 8 as encouragement. And they're both designed that we might be reset on the right path to covenant faithfulness, to a, a loving relation with our God. Uh, and so, you know, that chapter 7 is that of warning. But when we come to chapter 8, it's the same prophet, the same situation of the people of God, but God is choosing a different approach and method to motivate, to appeal to his people And that is of encouragement of the promises that will be fulfilled. And that a day is coming where indeed he will not only be their God, but they will truly be his people and truly blessed by him. The covenant will be fulfilled and realized. So let me read quickly chapter 8 and then we'll look at it together. And the word of the Lord of hosts came, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I am jealous for her with great wrath. Thus says the Lord, I have returned to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in hand because of great age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. Thus says the Lord of hosts, If it is a marvelous in the sight of the remnant of this people in in those days, shall it also be marvelous in my sight? declares the Lord of hosts. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country, and I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Let your hands be strong. You who in these days have been hearing these words from the mouth of the prophets who were present on the day that the foundation of a house of the house of the Lord of hosts was laid that the temple might be built. For before those days, there was no wage for man or any wage for beast. Neither neither was there any safety from foe from the foe for him. Who went out or came in, for I set every man against his neighbor. But now I will not deal with the remnant of this people as in the former days, declares the Lord of hosts. For there shall be a sorrowing of peace, a a sowing of peace. The vine shall give its fruit, the ground shall give its produce, and the heavens shall give their dew. And I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these things. 
And as you have been a byword of cursing among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so will I save you, and you shall be a blessing. Fear not, but let your hands be strong. For thus says the Lord of hosts, as I purpose to bring disaster to you, when your fathers provoked me to wrath, and I did not relent, says the Lord of hosts, so again have I purposed in these days to bring good to Jerusalem, to the house of Judah. Fear not. These are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates, ju- gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another, and love no false oath. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord. And the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, The fast of the fourth month, and the fast of the fifth, and the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth, shall be to the house of Judah seasons of joy and gladness, and cheerful feasts. Therefore, love truth and peace. Thus says the Lord of hosts, people shall yet come, even the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord, and to seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going." Many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days ten men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Here there are ten sayings. And I've, I'm borrowing this from John McKay or John Mackay, uh, this uh, structure for chapter 8, uh, dividing it into 10 sayings. For the Lord does speak 10 times. This is what the Lord Almighty says. And it speaks of how God is going to fulfill his promise. Can you imagine the encouragement this is to people struggling, struggling with sin, half completed the job of the temple with much work before them. Uh, Their hands are weak. The work may be heavy. And God provides these sayings to provide great encouragement and confidence in him. Let's look at these briefly. The first is that God has a great zeal for Zion, for his people, that they may be blessed. And his zeal is not something that is lukewarm. It is not half-hearted. It's described here as hot, literally. Uh, He is not cool with respect to his people, but he loves us with such an intense love and holy zeal that he doesn't leave us in our sin. Um, There's so much more to each of these than we have time to get into, but I did put in the notes that Zion highlights God's divine presence, his dwelling with his people. If you look at kind of the beginning of Zion and and King David uh, at Zion, Early on. That's right. Because he, he says, blow hot or blow cold, but don't mm-hmm. be lukewarm. Exactly. So let's press on. Let's look at the second saying. And this is a promise in verse 3 that the Lord will return. He will come. He is coming and he will establish, renew that covenant relation with his people. There are many interpretations of Zechariah chapter 8. 
though so far in our study book, there's not direct reference to this portion of Zechariah yet. The principle he's laid down of hermeneutics is that the book of Zechariah points to the Lord Jesus. And this chapter is all about Jesus, the church, and the glory that awaits us, the great destiny that is ours in Christ. And so the Lord will return, I think ultimately speaks of the coming of the Lord Jesus and the church being established and God dwelling with his people. You know, when it culminates as we studied Revelation, Revelation chapter 21, uh, where God promises that he himself will dwell with us and that it's the fulfillment of the covenant for all eternity uh, is in view in the new Jerusalem. Well, let's press on to this third thing, and that is the sense of security or prosperity. Going back to a former time, perhaps during David or Solomon, when people had a longer longevity of life, they had a senior's ministry of those who had canes because it was a place of security and safety and people lived longer. The average age here, generally, other than those that, were, that lived in Babylon and now have come, the average age was much younger because it wasn't safe. It wasn't secure. What a beautiful picture. Even the security of the children playing, enjoying one another in the streets and the squares of the city. It's a picture indeed of what is to come, where our bodies will be renewed and we will enjoy perfect fellowship one with another for all eternity. The fourth one reminds us that faith will find its fulfillment not through trusting in worldly means, but looking to God that indeed God will do his work. He will fulfill what he has said. The fifth refers to the covenant bond that will be restored especially of safety and protection from enemies. Uh, The countries from, was it the east? Verse 7, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country. He will protect us from north and south. I think of John chapter 10, where we are clasped in the hand of the Lord Jesus and in the Father's hand, and nothing will snatch us out that we have a safety, we have a security. Think of Dr. Thomas's book in Romans chapter 8. You know, we'll, we'll be safe all the way home to glory, safe and secure in the Lord Jesus Christ. Obviously a picture captured by John in the Revelation. Let's look at number six, where, there, where the past and the future will be different. There'll be a change from the past. The conditions that had once afflicted them, the consequences of their sin will be reversed. Think of what Christ has done. We deserve punishment, death, hell itself. But look at what we're granted. Life and peace and eternity. It's a reversal. There is a great reversal. And it's shown even uh, spiritually described in terms of their crops. Their seed that they sow will yield a harvest. The economic depression, the financial pressures will come to an end and God himself will bring the dew and the rain to see that the people are truly blessed 
that their hands might be strong for the work. This is a theme that's repeated twice. And I think it's worthy of mentioning. They had a particular task to do, and each of us have been given tasks for the Lord Jesus to do. We, we have together as his church, his people, but individually he's given us gifts and abilities and our usefulness in the kingdom, our advance of experiencing the blessing of God is related to our faithfulness to the task that he has given us. Well, these last several, I just really drill down, don't I? Number seven, the Lord's determination, uh, where God is committed in blessing his people. Uh, Nothing will thwart his blessing of his people so that they might live in harmony and peace and experience covenant love, not only from the Lord, but with and among their relations one with the other. And then in the question that was asked at the beginning of chapter 7 with respect to the fast is answered. And it's quite an answer because the fast of the fourth, earlier we had what, the fast of the fifth and the seventh? Now, the fast of the fourth month, the fast of the fifth, the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth, (laughs) you know, will be seasons of joy and gladness, cheerful feast. These things that were once a ho-hum, a burden, an external empty ritual will become things in which there is now great delight Enjoy. Maybe you've experienced this in your own life before. Things that were ho-hum concerning the things of God or the worship of God or the sacraments perhaps or the preaching of His Word now have become a balm, a delight to your soul. So He calls them to be people who love the truth and are committed to pursue it in their own lives and in their relationships with one another. These final two sayings are kind of a unique section of the book of Zechariah. There have been many sermons preached, uh, um, including Jonathan Edwards, uh, from Zechariah 8, starting at verse 20 through the end of the, of the chapter 23, 23. And uh, it speaks uh, especially of the world being blessed through his people. God's plan, going back to Genesis chapter 12, chapter 15, it's renewed throughout the Bible, is that God would bless a nation, that that nation might be a blessing to the nations of the earth. And uh, that is what is in view here, that as his people are renewed and refreshed, revived by him, so the nations are renewed and revived And it gets even to the 10th saying, which is even more striking, where the nations will come to the church, to the people of God, the covenant community, uh, themselves acknowledging, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. That indeed is what we desire, that our neighbors, our friends in 2024 might know the Lord That indeed he is with us in his mercy, not because of who we are, and that he's faithful to his word and covenant. Um, This depicts the blessings of God Almighty. And if, if we look at the book of Acts, we see it's an initial fulfillment of the nations there at Pentecost and other places where the gospel goes to the nations. And that's continuing today through world missions and through our prayers and through our own endeavor with our neighbors and co-workers who don't know the love and grace of Christ. But it all begins with the reality of our own relation with God and coming to terms with our need of the Lord. I put this quote, it's, part of it's from uh, John Mackay, John McKay, and 
part of it is part of it I've written. Humility and contrition are at the heart of biblical fasting, but the note of contrition and self-humiliation seem absent from their practice. Well, as these things are integral to our faith, when God is in the middle, as it were, of our worship, every aspect of it, that our delight is in him, God does this mighty work of renewal and refreshment, that our hands would be strong, that we might labor for him here in the work to which he has called us and called you ladies in your circles together in 2024. You may have some thoughts or comments on this passage or chapter 8. <laughs> but anyway, that's right. That that aside, um, as you've gone through this, <laughs> verse by verse, um, the tone of seven verses eight is is very. I mean, that's mm-hmm. your point. But where he's asking, you know, why are you going through the mechanics of these observances? And I here in, in verses eight and on down. I'm telling you to be good to one another, and yet you're not listening. And then over in 8, beginning at verse 9, where he tells you to keep strong, he's saying, I set you upon each other. And that's, I'm I'm looking at the free will in 7 versus the non-free will in 8. I guess that's... Yeah, and I haven't looked at the Hebrew of that. Uh, it, it probably is worthy to look at and double-check things there. Uh, certainly, God, uh, we are each responsible. The Bible clearly teaches. God is fully also sovereign. There's a sense in which God allows us to go our own way when we resist him, as we're reminded in Romans chapter 1. And God allows it, but the language here is even stronger, isn't it? Read that verse one more time. Which the, um, the one you were referring to about, eight. yeah. Um, let me see. Uh, I thought it was 10, eight. Verse 10. For before those days there was no wage for um, man or any wage for beast, neither was there any safety from the foe for him who went out or came in. For I sat every man against his neighbor. But now I will not deal with the remnant of his people as in the former days, declares the Lord of hosts, for I shall be sowing peace. Many commentators would say God has set things up where there's covenant blessings and covenant curses. If you pursue a path of disobedience and disregard of God, this will happen and it's implied as if God is the actor I'm not saying God is not he certainly you know it's it's the covenant being fulfilled that he's promised but I probably should look at the Hebrew a little bit before I go too much further I looked at that as this is that this coming back in this conversation is is like God saying you have a clean slate Right. Because I did what I said I was going to do. You have come back, and I'm warning you that if you if you continue in these these ways, that it's not going it's not going to go well for you. And now you know that because you've seen it. But now you have a clean slate, and I'm warning you to have to examine your heart and and to put me first. Yeah. That's I just had that yeah. kind of clean slate kind. And of that's the implication of those verses right after the verse right after that. Well, it's a good example. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But it's like what I was envisioning. Of course, the, these are sayings that God is giving to Zechariah, but they are so different that he's still in charge. When, 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 we, when we disregard God, he becomes set against us in his righteous holiness. And that leads indeed to our being out of, at odds one with another. That doesn't make God the author of sin. It is a complex subject, yes. So, so verses 14 
to 17 where it talks about God says, I purpose disaster. And now I purpose to bring days good of good. And, and, and then after that, he says, these things you shall do, speak the truth. So it's kind of like the same thing that happened um, in the Exodus. God um, took them out. He showed them all this good. He took them out of slavery. Then he takes them to Sinai and says, now, now that I've saved you, this is what you need to do. And it's kind of the same thing mm -hmm. here. He says, you know, I, so, I, good observation, I took you yeah. out, of, out of the exile and brought you back. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do you good. But now, this yeah. is what you need to do. Yes. Do you think there's any connection there with the fact that the temple was being rebuilt at this time and so they had been obedient, well they weren't obedient to Haggai, but, <laughs> but the temple was then, and it's a new, kind of like what Lucy said, it's a new start. It's a, yeah, exactly. They're back in the land. Right. They've begun the work. God knows what their ancestors did and maybe he knows the inclination of their own hearts. And he, he's warning, he's <laughs> advising, guiding. Right, the temple was destroyed because of their disobedience. Now yes. he's commanded them to rebuild it, and they are, and so... And he's trying to rebuild their lives right. and hearts, to right. use the word you were using earlier, yeah. uh, while they're rebuilding the temple. Yeah. yeah. We'll start here, and then... I, I keep looking at the bigger picture, I, I, I think for us, because what's happening, what we, we see what was for them, but we also see for us, if you, this is the same Zechariah that 40 years later got sawn in half because or whatever mm -hmm. happened to him. He got killed between right. the altar and the... That's so, right. Uh, it's a, I think it's a big warning for us also mm -hmm. that we've got the bigger picture. We've got all of it. It's here from Genesis to Revelation. We've got it all here. And it's very mm -hmm. poignant lesson for us. Mm -hmm. and, and related yeah. to that, listening to this the rest of the discussion after I asked the initial question, am I imposing too much of a, a temp temporality, mm -hmm. if that's a word, to this, that the reference to making peace is really in Revelation time? Because mm -hmm. this is all some kind of prophecy. It's not... I think it's like, both in. <laughs> I think it's both in. It definitely is in Revelation for all eternity. Mm -hmm. But God's desire is that even then and even now among us that we would maintain the kind of relationships and the covenant to which we've been introduced. So yeah, I'd say you're right. Both, it is definitely the future where it will be fulfilled fully, but we are to be even now entering into these things by His grace and His help. Yes? something in there just because it's speaking to me <laughs> but um, you know when you talk about I've just thought recently about glorifying God what does that mean to glorify God what does it mean to to show God forth in what we do and I feel like this is what he's saying you know he's saying you know if you you can fast you can go to every Bible study on the planet you can do all these things, but then if you walk out and you're not being truthful and you're not practicing kindness and you're <laughs> oppressing people, um, then what have you? What are you, what are you doing? You know, what is it sure, mean? and it goes back to the James one yeah. that was read earlier, which was a great right. passage for this. Uh, yeah. Well, isn't it a great passage to begin a new year on? You know. The Lord is very good. I think we've come to our time. So let's give thanks to our Lord and our God together. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we rejoice in you. We praise you that you are ever faithful as we have begun this new year. That your promises are yes and amen and our Savior. And that you are fulfilling and shall fulfill each and every one of the promises that remain. We thank you for this passage from your word and pray that we might learn. We pray that our own hearts and lives would be washed by your scripture, that we might be full of integrity in our worship and our religious activity, that 
our hearts would be inclined to you and that our minds and ears would receive your word, that we might listen and be changed by it. We desire that this year. And we pray for your working. Thank you for these ladies and their tender love for those in their circle. They're teaching your word and pray that you will give them great help. We praise you for the great destiny that is ours and the glorious promises and truths that are spoken of here. We know that indeed they will come to pass. We give you our praise. In Christ Jesus, our Savior's name we pray. Amen.